0: We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer. Tap into your most original thinking. Organize your ideas. And create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking Your World of Creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson.
1: Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And when we think of a world of creativity, Bob Dylan certainly helps define creativity, not only as the songwriter and what he's often called the voice of a generation, but also in his willingness to explore new ideas and new styles and new mediums, and of course, uh, capped off with a Nobel Prize in Literature. But we're going to talk about Bob Dylan today in a couple of different ways. We'll talk about the book he wrote, The Philosophy of Modern Song, and the biography that was written about him, Folk Music, a Bob Dylan biography in seven songs. I'm just so glad to be joined with the rock biographer and music reviewer, Jude Warren. talk about Bob. Jude, welcome to the show.
2: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on.
1: It's great to talk to you again. A couple of years back in the early days of our podcast, I had a chance to talk with Jude about the book she had just released, America, a biography of the band in conjunction with their 50th anniversary. And since then, she's done all sorts of great reviews on bands of all kinds. And
2: you can never read enough. And especially when you're in the In that world, it's nice to just get different ideas about what you'd like to do, what you don't want to do, and just take advantage of all the great music writing that's going on out there at the same time. Focusing then on Bob Dylan, why
1: don't we start with his book, The Philosophy of Modern Song? This is quite a book. First, you even start with the price tag. It's $45. It's thick. It's page (laughs) after page of stories about songs. But I was even struck by Hey, there's not much liner notes here. There's not much of an introduction. There's no introduction, really. What is this book going to be about? How is it structured? Why did he write it? He literally just jumps into it, doesn't he? Yeah,
2: he keeps the mystery alive consistently. If you look at his whole career right through this book, there's always an element of this elusive quality, which is very captivating and goes nicely in conjunction with his incredible body work. But you're right, this book goes right alongside that theme. And It also highlighted for me a lot of the songwriters and songs that he touches on. He brings out their mystery or the mystery going on with the characters in each of the songs he talks about. So there's the theme really is consistent, in my opinion, throughout the whole book. It's exciting.
1: And the mystery is a nice word because how many people have tried to interpret a Bob Dylan song? (laughs) It's like, how much meaning could we infuse in it? But often to look at it the other way and say, how does somebody like Bob Dylan? Interpret other people's songs, and how, what would he see in Johnny Taylor or Pete Townsend or Willie Nelson? All all the songs that he's profiling. Isn't it interesting to have an insight into? his philosophy towards their music.
2: It is. And it really reminded me and tuned me into how into characters he is, the characters in his own songs and then in the songs he discusses here. He's really able to, he does touch now and then on different artists' lives in this book. He really goes right into the songs and reminds us and reminds readers of the writerly quality of these different musicians and separates the songs from the musicians too and makes it part of this ongoing story canon like of the universe which is how I like to see a lot of his work too removed from the self which makes them more relatable so that was interesting to note while I was reading this.
1: Yes. And I love all sorts of books. He kind of dissected the music and told the story behind the songs. And I like all kinds of those books. But this is different in that it's his interpretation of what's behind the song. I don't know that it's always the songwriter who's telling the story.
2: That's a good point. He riffs (laughs) a lot on different elements of each song and takes them down these different corridors and roads. And it's very interesting, almost. In a way, creating this new song in the process or new story attached to the song that builds upon what's there. But it just speaks further to his writerly, incredible talent and and insight that he has. And also the openness, I think, with which he views characters and songs, the possibilities that are there. It opened up my mind further to that.
1: And I was thinking about as a writer, you might have also appreciated that. He has this second person, you are in the song, you become this character, you, and he says you a lot. And it does remind me of even the way he talks, both in his radio show and when you see him on stage, it has that kind of conversational tone. That's how we all talk, I think. say you. Probably more than we say we or I. or
2: Yeah, and it goes against what's taught largely in academia, at least in my experience of trying your best. I'm using you also, but trying yes. one's best, use a third person that removes voice, theoretically granting you more authority on the subject or something, less personal involvement. Meanwhile, every, everything's personal anyway, but I like that he breaks through that, as happens a lot in popular song, I think Joni Mitchell spoke about that when she heard some of Bob's stuff immediately, how she liked the in, the second person direct address that he used. And it does make a more monologue in a play. It just makes it more powerful a lot.
1: And as a follower and a reviewer of music of all generations, clearly Bob is one of these. I think he's one of the only artists or the first artist maybe to hit the Billboard charts in every decade since the 60s. But thinking about the title of the philosophy of modern song, some reviewers have noted that there are very few true modern songs that he profiles. There's a lot of (laughs) Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson and Bobby Darin, and like maybe the Eagles and Cher come up to date. (laughs) But some of these are real, literally from the 40s and 50s. I noticed the thread there. Why do you think he's talking about modern? song
2: one of the elements that struck me reading this too and noting that as you say a lot of the musicians are from the earliest days of rock and roll and into early country it reminded me of how that's a lot of the artists were artists that he liked or was influenced by when he was a young very young child the first modern theoretically modern music he was exposed to a lot of it before rock really took off as the 60s went on and and folk music and all that so that's what kept hitting me while reading this once in a while. Like, oh, interesting, he chose that older song. Like you said, Waylon Jennings is great, but it hits you off guard while you're going through the book. But ultimately, it, it does make perfect sense. And I like how he didn't, seemingly did not try to be objective in any way or try to cover a certain amount of different artists of color or artists of different gender. He just, it feels very personal to me, like these are his favorites or the songs he chose to talk about, write about in this book. And he doesn't try to make up for society or try to Fair in it, he's just being true to himself, which is valuable.
1: Well, to look at a couple examples of that, one is takes on Bobby darren as a Frank Sinatra wannabe that (laughs) (laughs) he thought he could be, but clearly, or an Elvis wannabe, or either one of those, he he happened to be stuck in that time period.
2: Yes, and I think that's really great too to highlight these. Yes, they're music legends, but especially through the lens of history younger people nowadays Frank Sinatra is definitely the popular singer from that era we think of first and we don't always one doesn't always get to Bobby Darin so he's bringing these people who deserve to be lauded and discussed into light so you can observe them more intensely but I like how they're right he chose some of these other artists who are not the obvious choices as well per se he wasn't trying to be fair or copy this kind of textbook version of what popular music might look like from the second half of the 20th century but nor would he that's not surprising (laughs)
1: Yes. And you mentioned that he didn't try to create this sort of perfect patchwork of ethnicities, race music, or a gender. But a lot of reviewers have noted how few female singer-songwriters are featured in this book. And I wonder if that has as much to do with Bob's sort of view of music, or the influences they may or may not have had on him. I was curious what you thought about
2: that. Like to consider ideally artists and their work without first going to gender, race, background, whatever their personal qualities beyond their writerly self might be. So when I think of my top artists, a lot of rock artists I like from history, they're mostly men, and that's not intentional in any way. It just happens to be. So I imagine his version is similar, where he wasn't thinking about it from that perspective. He was just going from his gut and his true taste or choices at the moment when he was writing this, but. It's interesting to think about, too, some of the other artists that he ch- chose, which were surprising, like you mentioned, I think you mentioned before, the Eagles and um, Elvis Costello, even in The Clash, which I never associate with Bob's music immediately just because they came out in different, started in different eras. But the fact that he speaks to these artists or songs that are a bit surprising. It makes you think about history in this bigger way. It made me think about it in that way. So I, I was impressed by those choices.
1: Yes. And when I think about landmark songs, Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves by Cher wouldn't probably make my list of influential music. But thinking of Cher, he does go into the story about the background of Carnival and these traveling shows. And even to quote him here, this song is a thinly veiled metaphor for her father-mother relationships. Eventually, Cher met and fell in love with Sonny Bono, an aspiring singer and actor. Sonny was the record producer and protege of Phil Spector. As you peel the onion, you realize, okay, maybe there is a lot more behind this song, or at least behind the story of the song, that he uncovers.
2: Yeah, and I, it's very admirable how he, in this particular circumstances, too, in the book, like the quote that you just mentioned, how he does try to take the historian's stance as well, giving facts like that, not just personal opinion, but weaving this new narrative about the song with his own reflection injected into it. But I really enjoyed that.
1: And another example, by the time I get to Phoenix, everybody associates this with Glenn Campbell. But of course, Jimmy Webb was the songwriter behind it. But you get this, mm-hmm. it's out of time, because you really wouldn't make it from Phoenix to Albuquerque to Oklahoma or all these other places <laughs> in between. But this is storytelling. And you were talking about the way Bob writes stories, or develops characters, and oftentimes makes a 12-minute song out of the story. He loves these stories.
2: Yeah. And it was making me think about, is a narrative writer's talent proportional to the willingness he has to give up his own identity over the course of writing the song or or book or whatever he or she's working on. Because sometimes the strongest pieces of work with conviction are those where the artist really removes a lot of his personal identity. And it takes on this bigger quality, in my opinion. But it was the reading this book and having this great artist Dylan talk about all these other great artists, it was a nice world to hang out in.
1: And a lot has been said about the design of the book. As I mentioned, it's it's somewhere in between a one chapter, one song, but then it yes. becomes a coffee table book with these mid-century, <laughs> very eclectic photos, a lot of color highlights. Yeah. How do you think that contributed to the book?
2: I think it makes it definitely more ta- tactile experience, but it, I think the design job is really beautiful. And it does have a bit of a scrapbook quality because of that. And almost like a scrapbook of the second half of the 20th century mm-hmm. music. But I think that adds a lot to the book where. As you said, the pieces are pretty short on each song, and because there are these different images put alongside the song analysis, and it just makes it a rich experience. So it did hit me a bit like a coffee table book of a kind, but a, a serious one.
1: Yes. Not that you can't really just flip through it. You can, but it warrants greater attention. And because there's not a big acknowledgement section, in fact, if you try to read all those photo credits, your eyes will go blurry. <laughs> And there's not a book jacket to explain it. But can you imagine, Bob, he's telling the stories. And I was hearing his voice, like his old radio show on Sirius XM. Uh, Can you imagine him? Now he's got the manuscript and he's going through these photos. Can you see him at the kitchen table with scrapbook quality? I'm trying to picture how this, I don't know if you have any insight on how it was really put together. But Um, I'm having this out-of-body experience trying to watch this book (laughs) being put together with Bob's hand.
2: I can't ever think about Dylan too much in any tactile, physical situation. <laughs> He's so like ethereal and yes. and really talented at discussing and addressing the physical life experience. But yeah, I, I'm never like <laughs> standing at a table buying a movie ticket, like doing stuff that a regular person does. So cerebral. But yes, that. There had to be a point of that, I imagine. I was going to say, there had
1: to be a point. Whether he was physically putting a fingerprint on these selections (laughs) or whether at least he was approving it. Somebody had to say, hey, this is your book. You've got to sign off.
0: So that did happen. And
1: like you say, because we have this image of him, the real life mundane stuff doesn't occur to us. Instead, picking up on the title of the book, Philosopher. Does this book pay off the philosophy of modern song to you?
2: when i consider it from dylan's individual perspective yes it absolutely does um it can't remove that stamp that tattoo from it that it's dylan's ideas and opinions about what modern song is and his influences are clear too by the love, lot of the choices he has in the book yeah but in a more removed way I don't know if that's ever actually possible to do it in a more removed way. So this is this may be the closest answer we get to that. And who better? I can't think of a better songwriter that we're fortunate enough is still alive with us today that could begin to tackle this kind of concept. Yeah.
1: And let's use this philosopher as a turning point to look at another book that you had a chance to review, and that's called "Folk Music: A Bob Dylan Biography and Seven Songs." And in the Vinyl District, that you profiled this as not only a biography, but a look at the popular music that he created, and that ultimately now you put these books side by side, and you get this, what were my influences and what were my contributions? Did you see those in that book ending sort of way?
2: In part, I did think it was interesting that from a timely perspective that they came out close, close to each other. But Graham Marcus is probably my favorite music writer, cultural writer of all time so far. And I consider him to be in this this class of his own and he has his own thought trip that he's had going his whole life as a writer and commentator on on history, culture from recent decades. But what I like about Grail's writing too is that you have to, the reader has to go with him on the trip if he's, if he or she's going to enjoy the book. He does take a lot of offshoots taking elements of, in this particular book, one Dylan song and relating it to different parts of history and what was going on at the time the song was released and also bringing it forward to modern day. So I love how he does that so successfully. And it becomes about so much more than just the song. He's able to weave the world together, in my opinion. So I was very glad to read this book when it came out. And Mystery Train is such a fantastic rock book. It's probably my personal favorite. And he has written about Dylan before, of course, with the Invisible Republic book. And the basement tapes and that's a great work but this was a nice add to his just his view and Dylan and what he contributed
1: yes and even with just 7 songs selected it does span the time frame a lot of one reviewer said I didn't like anything Dylan did after 1976. Didn't know he only liked three of the songs that were selected.
2: <laughs> <And> he stopped <laughs> reading. Yeah,
1: that's right. But uh, how did you feel about the song selection in the context of Greil trying to write a biography inspired or based around these seven songs? Do you think they were representative?
2: Yes and no. I feel like it's another one of those impossible situations where it's not you're, you can't cover one songwriter's life or their songwriting life just in seven songs, but you, whatever seven you choose, you can use to make examples that you could also make with other songs, arguably, just examples about their career and their artistry. So I might have chosen different seven songs, but perhaps some of the ideas would be similar ones in terms of the points you're making about his contribution, Dylan's contribution to culture and stuff. But yes, it's like, a. There, to me, it comes across as a bit of a joke in a light way, not the book at all, but the concept of seven songs about, that tell the story of this artist's life, because it is a limited viewpoint, and it can't quite be done, but it's the book itself. Works anyway, and similarly with the hit, one of his other books, "History of Rock and Roll in Ten Songs," I think it was, and it struck me as a similar experience. You can't fully tell the story of rock and roll in ten songs, but you can use ten selected songs to as jumping off points to tell the story effectively.
1: Good. My guest is Jude Warren, j-u-d-e-w-a-r-n-e.com is her website. Jude, it's so good to talk to you about this kind of music. And while we're talking about Bob's craftsmanship, I want to maybe. Talk about your craftsmanship for a little bit, how you approach reviewing and a true criticism, not just the word we think of and I'm criticizing you, but true <laughs> criticism of work like this. How do you approach it when you first take a book like Bob's Philosophy of Modern Song and you say, I'm going to write a review of this?
2: There are usually a few strong points that come across to me while I'm reading a book or listening to an album that I'm considering or reflecting upon. And those points usually get stronger over the course of the reading listening experience and stand out to me as what i consider the main points of the experience to be from my perspective so that's a that's how i usually do it the ideas i have usually come across emotively first like from this other place and then slowly they become (laughs) this sounds far out but they become worded so they're But because they have emotional quality, they catch my attention and I pay attention to those ideas or the beginnings of ideas as I can finish, try to finish the work.
1: Oh, that's good. And uh, listeners to the podcast, since we're an audio platform, they may not see the generational gap between us, Jude but you are not the aging baby boomer reviewing and remembering where were you when you heard the album or what were you doing when Credence was on the charts. So you're looking at this from an interesting point of view. And I'm curious if that gives you some different view or I'll even say objectivity to the music because it's not connected to some emotional memory or event in your life, but rather the music or the book itself.
2: Yes, I would say absolutely. And that's part of what I like about it. it's as a writer and ref- reflector thinking about something that's kind of, you can think of it as complete an album that came out in 76 or whatever, even though I think that every work, be, if it's being reflected upon now, it's not quite done. It's still happening in some way, but I like the theoretical finality from one end about an album that is, is done that has come out already because I can, I feel like I have the full grasp of what it was intended to be or what it remains to be now. So it feels like a more comforting subject to tackle from my view. That's how I think about it.
1: Yeah. And certainly with the renewed vinyl, mm-hmm. giving a lot of artists a chance to reissue, update, remaster, and put the vinyl out again but to maybe give it a listen in a fresh world.
2: Yes, I think so. And just the power of vinyl sonically and how different it is from so many Preferred listening methods nowadays, especially with younger generations, is digital listening, Spotify, or just downloading albums on your phone or iPad or something. So it's such a nice, stark contrast. But I think a lot of younger people are into both, which I admire, and I am too.
1: And so let's turn the page to what we're looking forward to. Are you working on any new reviews or what new music are you listening to that you're interested in?
2: I listen to so much older music and I mine Spotify a lot. I really enjoy instrumental albums lately from the 70s that seem like these underground funk releases or weird offshoots of soundtracks, foreign soundtracks. There's so much going on there for me as a listener, and it's new to me. So I like when something, even though it's older music came out a time ago, it sounds new to me. In terms of new, any newer music, I've liked Andy Schaff's work a lot. He had a a couple of really great albums that came out recently and one coming out this year. His writing is really great. I love songwriters and his songwriting is very satisfying for the Neon Skyline album. is a great concept record. worth are checking out the Paul Simon elements going on, continued storyline throughout the album. It's great.
1: And your Instagram is awesome to remind of some songs and tracks that you wouldn't normally listen to otherwise. It's like, <laughs> Here's what's on your stereo today. Yes, it's good I, stuff.
2: Enjoy that. It's like my one of my dream jobs is to be a DJ somewhere (laughs) in this imagined rock club that probably doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) Where I get to choose different songs to put on. So I make a lot of playlists, like a lot of music. Now it'll
1: be time to create that club. I can't wait to continue to uh, talk to you. Let's keep this dialogue going and check in every now and then on whether it's new books or new albums. You've got a great platform in the Vinyl District and in other places you've been placing your reviews, but I'd love to share these insights and your viewpoints with the listeners. So let's stay in touch.
2: That would be great. Thank you so much.
1: Anything new projects?
2: Yes, I am working on a new book. I'm very excited about it. It's about a 70s rock artist who is still around today and made wonderful records in the 80s and forward also but a lot of his prime music releases were during that era so it should be announced soon with the when it will be released and title and all that exciting stuff. I look forward to that. It should be coming out the end of next year, fall 2024.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Keep the listeners informed. We'll put all those connections in the show notes so that we can follow you and stay in touch with your work.
2: Great. That's so kind. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, you bet. Jude, thanks for being on the show. It's been great talking to you. And I know we'll continue the conversation.
2: Thanks for having me. Definitely. I look forward to it
1: yeah and listeners come back again we've stamped our creative passports in new york today but we'll continue our around the world journeys talking to creative practitioners of all kinds we'll look at their work what inspires them how they organize ideas and a lot of even what we've talked about today how to get the work up and out into the world and face the critics and know that the work is good Certainly Bob did that for many decades and continues to do that. So it's been great to focus on Bob as an artist today and Jude Warren and her insights on his work as we've had that in the conversation. So come back again next time and we'll continue to unlock your world of creativity. Bye for that.
0: Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and The ThePeaceroom.love. If you like this podcast, here's another show that you'll like from BSB Media. The Patients Speak, Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey. It features interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Presented by 83Bar. Look for the Patient Speak on your favorite podcast app.